Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. Today, your hosts are Michael Morrow and myself, Mark Raycroft, and our guest is Sean James from my, my Self-Reliance YouTube channel. We are filming on a mountainside in Alaska, in the outdoors. It is great. The backdrop is fantastic. If you're listening to this on an audio platform, go to the YouTube channel and check it out, and you can watch this podcast as we record it here in the wilderness today. Today's podcast resonates with me because I love coming to Alaska. I've been coming up here for 20 years and can remember each and every trip that I've done. And the first one was a tremendous eye-opener as far as the landscape, the wildlife, the climate. It's just spectacular. And the opportunities seem to be endless for wildlife photography and adventure here in this amazing landscape. This is Sean's first time, and we had the privilege of showing him some of our favorite locations here in Alaska. And today's podcast, we're going to dive into that and hear what Sean's first experience in Alaska has been like and some of his highlights that he wants to share with us on that as well. Welcome again to the show. Glad to be here. Yeah, second time. Second time on the show. Better scene, better scenery, better landscape. And it's super cool to meet you in person because you, yeah. you only get so much over Skype, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you can get a flavor for who you are from your YouTube channel, mm -hmm. but actually meeting you in person has been a blast yeah same it's it's so cool to be able to talk shop be able to talk wildlife be able to talk you know what you do i'm so intrigued by it so yeah. it's fun to watch you work yeah. and how you create your show <laughs> oh right right yeah yeah you've yeah. been at it for years so it's and it's so successful that from our point of view i mean our youtube channel is something that we're excited about launching and expanding so it's great to have you along on the trip for mm -hmm. that reason mm -hmm. too well, it's good. The, the feelings mutual and learning from each other is mutual because I'm learning a lot about wildlife photography and landscape and wildlife behavior. And yeah, just seeing how that um, different lifestyle works. It's cool. And to see that, you know, you're being dedicated and actually semi living up here or part time living up here, that's pretty cool too. I can see why you were inspired to spend more time here. Yeah, I was like Mark. I've been coming up here since 92. And, wow. And every year. And it just got progressively longer and longer and longer. And it's like, you know what? I just, just move there. Mm -hmm. you, can, you know, planes are cool. You can fly just about anywhere. So mm -hmm. if somebody calls for a job in the lower 48, sure. you just go. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, my first time. And I remember uh, I remember when I was a kid watching Red Fisher. And I don't know if that was broadcast in the U.S. or not. But it's a, um, an old fellow that sit sit around Scuttlebutt Lodge. And actually, when I was building my cabin, I was thinking of Scuttlebutt Lodge and filming me talking to you guys sitting in my cabin like he did but he always talked about these epic trips to the Kenai Peninsula that was probably my first exposure to the idea of going to Alaska to, to, to do outdoor stuff fishing and hunting and and um, photography and, and when I got that opportunity to come here I mean that was in the back of my mind and forefront was that I've been following you guys watching what you're doing see these incredible shots incredible animals like yeah I want to go <laughs> no, well, not a good year. It was actually I'm quite busy at back at back home, and didn't really want to fit it in. Didn't feel right leaving my wife and the dog and the kids and just taking off for two weeks. But how could I turn this down? It's, it's, and it's been worth it every second of it. What do you think's been the coolest thing that you've had over the for, over these two weeks? Is there one that just stands out? I think. Um, so I'm thinking of a wildlife encounter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, so first of all, I've never seen a brown bear. So grizzlies are, that were on my bucket list, of course, obviously. I've never seen Alaska Yukon moose, which these things are massive compared to what I'm used to. But uh, I would say seeing, probably seeing that first brown bear actually down at the river when I was, we were fishing and uh, sow and cub came running out of the bush and running down the middle of the river up towards us. That was awesome. It was fleeting, but it just gave me a, feel for what it was going to be like and what it's like here and, and what those animals are like compared to the black bears that I'm used to seeing. It's pretty cool. That was a great way to start the trip too. I mean, Sean drove down to Medicine Seward after we'd spent three days on a on a boat right. filming along the coast of the Kenai Fjords and then we moved over to the Kenai, into the Kenai Peninsula for salmon run, hoping for a salmon run, but it was between runs at the time. Mm -hmm. But it was great to hang out and then, yeah, that was 
couple of days there, that was a great way to finish it with that sighting of that brown bear with her cub. Yeah, yeah that's right. The sockeyes were, were cool as well. We have transplanted salmon back home. We have some native Atlanta, Atlantic salmon, but we have uh, coho, pinks, and king salmon, chinooks. And, uh, you know, it's fun fishing for those in rivers, but knowing that they're transplants is... It's always been in the back of my mind as well. It hasn't been truly authentic, but to come here and catch my first sockeye, see my first sockeyes, and then catch my first sockeye, that was cool. And it was a beautiful fish, too. Is Picture perfect. Yeah, yeah, well, it really Brilliant was. Brilliant red. So that was, an, uh, that was a great start to the trip, for sure. Uh, highlights since then, I've had some cool adventures. Uh, you know, the moose today and the moose last few days, but also spending time with the brown bears up in uh, Katmai uh, Park and... Uh, at Brooks Falls, that was pretty special as well. So we were talking last night, and we were trying to find some other stuff to do, but it's so limited. I mean, you can drive to Kenai, you can get to Seward, you can get to Homer, you can drive up north and go through Toke or Denali. That's kind of it. You know, it's hard to drive somewhere. So if you get the chance to fly, mm-hmm. you really see. And it can it's so much variation and stuff too, right? Yeah, and, and I would... Coming back, I would plan to do more of that for sure in different directions, different different experiences. Just the bears alone, it was cool where I went, but it was a fairly popular place with a, quite a number of people there. Um, I'd like to actually see them in a, a less uh, controlled setting, even though it was nice for a first, really actually nice for a first experience to be there when it, when it is so controlled and so safe, but to get along the uh, coastline somewhere and, and see them that way would be on my bucket list for next trip right and there's a lot of places to do that and you can put yourself in so many different situations mm-hmm. where you well, you can do the tidal flats or you right. can go up on a river or you can yeah. do all kinds of things yeah i mean it really is a frontier last frontier it's it's again a cabin's in a fairly remote place for where i live for the province in, in canada that i live but uh, it just doesn't compare it, it I mean, we're not far from a fairly major center up here, and to be into moose like this, like, and to know the bears just walk into town randomly, there's grizzlies this close to where we are, like, you know, it's a wild place. Yeah, we saw a grizzly the other night. If, you, if you're watching on YouTube and you see down the valley that's behind us, we ran into a grizzly right there. Yeah, it's crazy. So for, for your trip to Brooks Falls then, what did you use for equipment on that? What, how many bears did you see, and then how did you need a big telephoto, or was it manageable without? So we got off the plane, landed on the plane at the beach, so, and there was about a half dozen, maybe ten planes, float planes at the beach, and right away we ha- we couldn't land where we wanted to because there was a sow with three cubs nursing on the beach. No kidding. That's yeah. your that's your welcoming party. Yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> now the regulations are, and, and uh, for ethical purposes, you're supposed to stay 50 yards of course you can't control wildlife always they wander towards you and you have to try to step out of the way and respect that the distance but 50 yards is what we were able to approach to those animals and uh, without disturbing them so i did use a 100 to 400 with a 1.4 extender on it with uh, my canon 1dx i used that most of the time and it was nice to be able to it wasn't too close mo- uh, for most situations but there was times that that i did pull out uh, uh, 24 to 105 on another camera and shot with that there's not just the awesome shots of the bear bears catching the salmon as they're leaping up the falls which i did get awesome footage of that you know slow-mo of the bear reaching out as the three or four fish are are flying past it and he reaches out and grabs it that was incredible but there's also the scenes of the i've got some awesome footage of cubs wrestling in the water down at the sort of the tidal flat or it's actually it's a lake it's not a tidal flat but at the estuary where it comes into the lake uh, they're just randomly playing out there and huge salmon uh, I was going to say herds (laughs) (laughs) flocks flocks of salmon (laughs) and a bear would move and the whole water was just roiling it was just boiling of uh, sockeye salmon all around these bears and it that was cool so to have a wider angle lens to capture that whole scene was good too and then they're just walking randomly past you so i was with cubs especially down below the falls they didn't want the competition the safety they're keeping their cubs safe so they're staying away from the males which were big and aggressive and jockeying for position at the prime spots at the falls themselves 
So it's great to have a, a variety of lens lengths. Um, there's a couple of uh, uh, ponds, like dry metal sort of things, and the the uh, sows were sleeping out in those in those with the with the cubs and staying away from the boars again. So I got some footage of that. So just yeah, incredible, and it doesn't take long to capture all that footage. And then you're looking for uh, for different opportunities. So you go there. I don't. Uh, this is the way I operate. I go and I see something, see an animal even here, like a moose here. You just shoot, 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 not looking for the best composition or exposure and lighting and all that it's like okay i captured it now i'm going to get into the 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 meat of it and do it properly so that was i've got probably 100 gigabytes of footage of just random shots and then i started focusing on trying to capture what i should be capturing yeah it wasn't too but a couple of days into the trip and you were thinking you might need to pick up some more hard drive <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i went through uh this this morning about 150 gigabytes <laughs> yeah great it makes for a good day yeah yeah. So and weeks afterwards, of course, reliving the experience as you go through that footage. Well, that's the cool thing because when you got back from your trip, or when we weren't with you, you were showing us some of that footage, and it's just exciting, right? Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. mean, this winter when you go through footage, it'll be a blast to relive it all. Well, that's the thing. I need to get videos out. I'm busy at home. I need to capture more footage of me working around the cabin and getting, getting uh, uploading videos to YouTube. So balancing all that and then, but and not rushing the footage because I. I want to um, convey the feeling that I, I have being in this situation, being in this, this state and, and experiencing all of this. So to rush that footage out just to, uh, just because I'm excited, I, I'm trying to re resist doing that. I just want to take my time and present the footage that I did capture properly. So I, I'll see how long it takes me, but it won't be winter for sure. I'll be too excited to, <laughs> to hold it back until then. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So... The you're out there shooting stills and video. Yeah. What's your first? Is is video always first? Just because you have the YouTube yes. presence. Yeah. So you're getting out there, you're getting the video going, and and then well, at what point do you switch to stills? Once I'm satisfied that I've captured the behavior and the majesty of that animal, once I feel I've, I've captured that fully for for YouTube, then I'll switch over to to, to uh, still photos. Um, and there's a lot of situations. I, I, there's a lot of situations where the still is still nice to capture. Like some of those scenes where the bull is kind of reaching in and or picking up, a, uh, biting some fireweed off and picking that up and it's hanging out of its mouth. I think that actually looks better sometimes it's still rather than film. So when I see that, I, I'm filming, then I switch over to, switch my camera over to photo and take that. And then I got to a point actually when we had so many great opportunities that I pulled out a second camera, had that on my shoulder and I was taking stills with that. And the other thing is having that smaller camera with a 24 to 105, let me open that up and capture the scene because it, I mean this, well look behind us right now if you're watching this on YouTube, the scene is where the moose were. So I wanted to get that majestic mountain in the background and the clouds rolling in as the moose is standing there feeding or two moose together and that was another good opportunity to get that wider lens out and capture that those interactions do you have some no it's just making the most of the scenario yeah right? i mean that's something when you're here you do get caught up in the moment and you do want those typical portraits but to realize the landscape is so complementary and the environment adds to that so to to capture that on you know that Hats off to you for recognizing that and doing all that variety for your show. Well, my back, or not my background, but I've spent more time over the years photographing and filming uh, landscapes and getting the um, overall feeling of an area because my, as much as I love animals, it hasn't been a focus. I haven't gone to places specifically to photograph wildlife. So I actually, my mind first goes to the landscape and the in, the um, interaction of the, of the animal with the landscape rather than the portrait of the animal itself. For one thing, I'm not tip, I'm not used to seeing such um, awesome specimens of each species that we see here in Alaska. I might, um, you know, if I see a cow moose at home, I'm capturing that cow moose. It's not all that dynamic itself, but to put it in the scene and see where it lives, that to me is capturing the, the essence of that animal. So that is my primary focus first, and then I start looking at, okay, now let's see the flies on that animal and how he's reacting to that, start looking at the details. That I, I, I'm seriously guilty of rolling out with the big lens, and it's just portrait, 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 close-up, close-up, close-up. And this tr 
this and slow mo close up. <laughs> slow mo close up, yeah. Right. But I have been bringing just one lens with me to force me to, and using a wide angle. Oh, really? Just to force myself. Okay, let's quit doing that because I never will do it. If I have a big lens, it's always going to be a big lens. <laughs> All right. But I, and I think I miss a ton of what you just explained. And I think it's so important. And if you can capture it properly, and if you've got the right exposure range, and it's mm-hmm. it's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a little harder to get. Um, like today, I mean, you got big white clouds, and then yeah. you got this other. You know, we were talking about it the other day. It's didn't you say something where, man, it's just it's so hard to capture what your what your eyes can see. Yeah, I mean, look at the the scale. Yeah, the scale of this. It's a panorama. I mean, you can capture it somewhat by panning with a with a with film, but you still don't get the majesty. So it is hard to capture yeah. for sure. And sometimes I like uh, being able to pick an animal out and be able to. Another thing, reason I don't use prime lenses, I'd like to focus on that animal and, and pan out or or opposite um, focus in and see that scale. Like to see the moose because these ma- moose are massive, but when you see them in the scale of the mountains, it's appropriate. Hmm. Right. So you, so you want to be able to capture both. The, the other thing, along those lines of being dynamic and, and constantly thinking, I'm so impressed watching you because you have the cameras you just mentioned, mentioned but you also have this GoPro that appears magically. <laughs> right. It'll, you know, you'll be walking down the trail, and here's the GoPro. I'm like, what? Where? Did, how did he get that out here in front of us? <laughs> just a little while ago, we were photographing moose. Oh, I know, right? And he, <laughs> we're all, I don't know, what would you say, 50 yards away? Sure. Whatever yeah, it was. That's right. I mean, they were a that. distance off, right? So we're all sitting there filming, and I don't—I didn't see you do it. But I didn't see him either. And then, uh, yeah, oh, wow. We, the moose starts coming this way, so we're all backing up. But he had strategically put this GoPro on, what was it, a branch or something? Well, sometimes you get lucky. I, so what I had done, the moose was about 50 yards off. There was two in the, in the, within distance, filming distance, and one was feeding away from me. So I went and put the gopro on a rock and i was going to stand in the scene and just and, and do a talking scene i was going to talk to that camera and then i noticed the bull turn towards me so i turned the camera to him instead of to me and then i backed off and let him have a path to to come through there sure enough he walks within five yards of the camera so i hope i hope i can show you the footage of that <laughs> i hope it turned out what i, I looked at it, yeah but it looks yeah. spectacular well, the cool yeah. thing about a gopro at five yeah. yards it's it's doable, right? Because yeah. you got such a wide scope or a mm-hmm. wide view that you might end up just having. You could also just have like his shoulder. Yeah, right. <laughs> Who knows? I yeah. mean, it, it's going to be cool yeah, to watch. I suspect it's going to be good. Yeah. yeah, I think it's going to be pretty cool. And then probably get that whole mountainside behind exactly. him, right? Well, that's the thing. That's what I like about these action cameras. They have a wide perspective. I keep it on a linear setting typically. Um, so it's a little less bubbly, but it's still fairly wide. But you get that low perspective as well. So camera's down here and the moose is up here right so that's why i like using it a lot i use it for fishing i put it in the water i had some great footage up at twin lakes where i'm catching grayling which another bucket list fish for me or experience caught some grayling and arctic char reeled them in right to the gopro right it's sitting in the water so perspective and it's something i would never would do with the dslr right so how did that progress from when you started your youtube channel are you you're editing stuff together, right? And and are you constantly thinking, oh, it'd been so cool if I'd had this, or it'd been so cool if I, you know, is it been that learning since you started till now where you just know, okay, if I get this wide and this wide and this GoPro and this, it was it a, did you start out like that, I guess is my question, or did you, have you just evolved with it? I would say, you know, I was sort of forced to use action cameras early because I spend a lot of time on the water, fishing and canoeing in particular. So on a canoe trip and, Specifically this year, I had an incident where on a canoe trip, you don't want to expose your DSLR, expensive DSLR, to water. So when I'm paddling across a lake and it's huge waves and I'm fighting a fish or something, awesome scene, but I'm not going to have my DSLR out of a dry bag in that situation. So naturally, the GoPro is clipped to the thwart of the canoe, and I'm capturing that. I also like to you know, put it in the water as I'm paddling along to get that paddle slow-mo going through the lake or the waves crashing so i used them early but what i also learned after editing my own videos that you need to create a full story within a story so a a film or video is 
you know, 100 maybe short stories. So me reaching over and picking this thing up is the story. If I just do this, or if, you, if I'm sitting like this and all of a sudden I've got this thing in my hand, well, how did it get into my hand? Well, that's very hard to capture with a DSLR. So you stick that GoPro down there. Maybe it's a DSLR and a tripod behind me. I reach for that thing. I've got two different perspectives. Now I can cut a second or three seconds out of from different cameras and mesh that all together to make a complete story. Right. So that's been the evolution is figuring, you know, and I think it, as an editor, what I, when I started working with a bunch of editors and shooters, I always would hire, for my shooters, I always would hire someone that edited first. Mm -hmm. Because if they had to deal with making a story without having the footage, mm -hmm. they know right away, oh, I'm going to do it way better than this guy who shot this for me because I know where, where the, you know, it's easy to get the obvious stuff. Mm -hmm. It's those little things that mm -hmm. really put the cherry on top. It makes it so much more watchable from an audience perspective, and you don't know why it's what more watchable. You just enjoy that experience more, and that that's typically what it is. Right, and I noticed on, on a lot of your videos, and people should go check out your channel, but the audio, mm -hmm. you do some you spend a lot of time with audio it sounds like i haven't we haven't talked about this but i think i i would assume that you do i do spend a lot of time on audio that's one i don't think anybody likes would tolerates poor audio on a video or a movie if you went to a movie and the audio was horrible especially now with uh, people using headphones a lot to watch things we're watching more and more on our iphones and if you're in a public space you're gonna have earbuds in or, or uh, headphones and a mosquito at the wrong time coming in and buzzing on my my camera that i've captured if i don't try to soften that in the editing process you, you know people are whipping their headphone off because first of all they either think the thing is biting them or they're uh, or it's just so screechy loud that it, that it's offensive right so it, that's one reason to focus on it but it also it's immersive you feel like you're part of that scene if you hear all of the the proper audio and at the right levels so i spent a time balancing a lot of times uh, balancing the, those audio levels. Yeah, uh, an example that hits me from a lot of your videos, when you do the cooking stuff, like if you're mm -hmm. cooking on the stove, you'll hear the spoon go into the pot, or you'll mm -hmm. hear the knife cut through and hit the cutting board, or whatever it is. Right. And those, that's like those little specialty shots. That right. stuff helps tell that story. And a lot of times it actually, some of that audio actually comes from a GoPro. Because that GoPro can be right up against that pot or in a place that, that you're going to capture different audio. So I have to listen to the audio. And it, it is challenging with three different cameras balancing the audio because you have GoPro that's not great. And DSLR, I use a Rode external mic on my, on my camera, on my DSLR. And it captures phenomenal sound. But then I've got to balance that. So, it, yeah, it takes, takes some effort. Right. Well, well done. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. And it's been fun watching you because I think I... From my perspective, I get lazy, you know, and if you're out here shooting wildlife, you just get those shots like we talked about and you're mm -hmm. on your way, but you could spend a whole day just doing audio mm -hmm. and leave the camera at home so you're yeah. focused on the audio, right? Right. Yeah. And I don't think, uh, for sure, amateurs don't do that just because they don't know yet. A lot of lazy YouTubers, and my, I mean, that's where I upload all of my videos on YouTube, they don't bother uh, with the audio and it's not watchable and people turn off and they and they don't know the creator doesn't know why people aren't watching their videos a lot of times it's that audio right you need to spend time balancing it i have a somebody that i spend time with that we do videos together but he you're constantly when i'm watching his videos i've got the the, the uh, uh controller in my hands i'm adjusting the audio up and down because you know, all of a sudden he's screaming and the next minute i can barely hear him so no, it's, it's, you got to focus on that. So recording audio separately is pretty important so that you can dub over uh, audio that's not good from a scene. Um, maybe a dog barks or something, and, and it's not appropriate for a dog to bark. when you're, If I'm sitting there reading, for example, in the cabin, and Callie barks because a bear stepped on the back porch, well, that's not audio that makes for a relaxing experience. So I need to have backup audio that I can dub over that. And it, I think it's appropriate to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it keeps the story on track. Mm -hmm. So take us on the second chapter of your adventure here in Alaska. Mm -hmm. So and the first three this, days. This was a bucket list. Well, yeah. yeah okay. We'll yeah. Finish. First three days were awesome. So fishing, first bear, uh, grizzly bear experience, brown bear. And then uh, 
came back here at Anchorage and then flew out to a bucket list destination for, for sure. So part of the inspiration for my cabin build uh, was uh, watching Dick Prenicky and the film that uh, was published or available to us in Canada was Alone in the Wilderness. And it was a story of Dick Prenicky moving up to Alaska and and uh, homesteading essentially on Twin Lakes up in Lake Clark, what's now Lake Clark National Park. At the time, uh, it was just pristine wilderness. So he, in 1968, cut some logs down. 1969, built this cabin. And very inspirational. He, he planned on staying there for a year and ended up staying for 30 years living in this thing. So, of course, me doing what I'm doing, how could I not be you know, enamored with that story? So I did... You know, it was a future bucket list. Didn't think it was going to happen this quickly. But when you, you know, you guys suggested I come out here. And, oh, by the way, you might want to stop by here. That was a little carrot that, that was dropped. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe I should make this work. And I talked to my wife about it. And she agreed. That's How could I turn that opportunity down? So I flew out there on a few, several days ago for four days. Spent two nights camping. Um on the beach within sight of Dick Prenicke's cabin and uh, just had an awesome experience. It was just something to walk into the into that cabin, be alone in his cabin, right in the, the log book there on the table that he wrote all of his journals with the journals sitting beside me. And it was just as if, you know, watching those movies for the last 30 years uh, about him doing that and being able to sit in those chairs and experience that was just surreal. And the camp on the beach where he, I mean... He fished uh, where Hope Creek uh, dumped into Twin Lakes. He fished there whenever he needed a meal of fish. And I, I camped right beside that creek. I went down, caught fish, and cooked them over the campfire. It was, uh, it's hard to explain the, the feeling. You had to have chills going yeah, up yeah, all the time, right? right yeah. It's just one thing after another because you're so familiar with it. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and now I'm re- rereading the book, and I'm going to rewatch the movies because now every, I can put everything in perspective. When he says I hiked up to Calgill Bench and there was caribou there or a grizzly bear, I've been up there now. I can feel that. I can envision exactly what he's what he saw back then. It's incredible. I picked up that book about 15 years ago, and I, I think I read it in, two days Mm -hmm. i just barely set it down the journals were so engaging Mm -hmm. and his lifestyle there and we'll put a link in our show notes for those that might be interested in in finding a a copy of this book for yourselves it's still available and is definitely an iconic story here in alaska Mm -hmm. and we didn't go on that trip with you because you felt and we agreed it was important for you to experience that because of your channel and because of just what it meant to you it's i think you going by yourself was kind of cool yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, and I, I'm, I didn't want to say to you guys our story today with that. I'd rather do it alone. But uh, you know, thank you for that, having that respect to, to allow me to do that uh, without tagging along. <laughs> as much as I love you guys, <laughs> we would have been. So what you doing? What you <laughs> yeah. see? What's that? How did he do that? Why are we in every video yeah. over in the background? Yeah, right. <laughs> Where's Waldo? Well, that's see, the cap. A lot of people found me, found my channel, and have followed my story because they um, knew of the Dick Pranicky story first. They were searching for other cabin things after watching Dick Pranicky and Alone in the Wilderness, and and stumbled across my content. So, a lot of my audience um, knows as much about him as they now know about me. Right. So it, it's I think it feels like sort of a community thing, a community uh, experience. How cool would it be for you to go back? 50 years and do I mean because you're we all living in modern times you're using YouTube you have to have internet you have to have some of the things that we have obviously mm-hmm. he didn't have anything like that out there right would you trade everything today to go back and do that live like that back then 50 years ago I don't think so um, for a couple of reasons one is that um, you know if you're young first of all you think 1969 or 1970 is eons ago centuries but not much has actually changed uh, from that period to now dick pranicky was uh, you can almost call him the original youtuber he was capturing all of it on film there is uh, i couldn't even get venture a guess at how many people actually have homesteaded in alaska and have built cabins and they're still living that lifestyle they didn't they don't document it dick pranicky went out there specifically for the purpose of uh, making an attempt to live that life, but also to capture it and share it with the world. 
So he would film, he would go back to Iowa, film in the summer, go back to Iowa the first several winters and present that material to an audience, a paying audience. And then eventually was hired by the Park Service to document everything he saw up there and continue to film and photograph wildlife and the ecology of the region, the landscape, the climate, and keep track of all of those things for the benefit of all of us. So he shared that. And I'm basically doing the same thing. So I know if he was to fast forward 50 years and live in our time, he would be doing exactly what I'm doing, I feel. And probably be doing backflips because you'd be shooting in 4K. Exactly. <laughs> because you look at and some of that footage of him shooting, and it's yeah. this old, what, Bolex? Yeah. I mean, his telephoto lens looks like a cigar. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, he got some cool stuff for the time, and for yeah. what he was getting was probably, he'd probably come back. I didn't realize that he would do shows when he went back mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, that's how he planned on funding. Like he, he was retired, and, and uh, you know, people ask, me and they, apparently they also asked him that people would write to him instead of sending an email of course so he spent a lot of time at the cabin responding to letters he would may, maybe send 50 letters back on the planes that would come in and, and deliver his his uh, supplies each week or every couple of weeks so young guys ask well how do i do that i, I want to get out you know, bow out of society now at 21 or 23 which i tried at 21 briefly too and his response to them was, don't. You need to go live life. You need to experience it and maybe then get disenchanted and want to bow at a society. But still, you need to contribute to it first. And now, and you know, and then later in your life, decide to do something like like what he's done and what I'm doing now. That's interesting. I, I would have assumed, you know, because mm-hmm. I think about it all the time. It's, wow, what was this place like 50 years ago? I, mm-hmm. I would trade it in a heartbeat, but maybe not. Yeah, this, I would say, first of all, in Alaska, a lot of it, it still is the same. And Twin Lakes, I would say, hasn't changed much. I, I went up there a little bit fearful that I would not be able to catch enough fish for meals. Well, I caught a, a, maybe a dozen grayling and half a dozen or more char and had no problem catching those. And I would imagine, well, I've read his journals and his book, and he, there was lots of times he didn't catch any fish. I think it's probably almost identical in the um, amount of wildlife that's there, the amount of fish that's in the lakes, the cleanliness of that lake. So not much has changed, except we have more modern gear and, and better, you know, safer flights and so on. So, right. yeah, I don't think I'd bother going back in time. Hmm. I think a lot of Alaska is still very wild mm-hmm. that way. And it's it, it would feel no the same. Loads. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's float plane access, beach landing access. It's just... It still feels that way to me. That's one of the reasons I'm drawn to continue mm-hmm. to return up here. Well, and even a lot of the planes that take you to these locations are the same planes that were <laughs> flying back then, right? Yeah, in fact, I True. stayed at yeah, the lodge right? yeah. that, that uh, where he stayed mm-hmm. when he was not in uh, Twin Lakes. He would come out and do some work around the farm, farm lodge. That's the lodge that they stayed at. And I was flown in and out of uh, Twin Lakes by the same family of pilots and the same planes that were used to fly Dick Prennick in, in and out. So it was that was part of the experience too. It was it was not much has changed. It's been forty, fifty years, but really not much has changed, and it felt that way. Today. Right, right. It, it's a timeless. It's, it really was a timeless experience. And you were fortunate with weather. I think that's something with only having the number of days you had to camp there. There was, you yeah. know, we were watching the forecasts, and it, I mean, as much as it's impossible to truly predict in the mountains mm-hmm. along the coastline, yeah. but it was you had good fortune for that for your storytelling and video recording. Yeah, we had. I got uh, socked in with rain, overcast skies like this, but with rain for maybe two or three hours and uh, one afternoon. But the skies were dramatic the rest of the time. So I, and it was uh, showering on and off, but it just added to it. I wouldn't want a bluebird uh, sky on a, on a, in a place like that. So it was, it was awesome. Saw a couple of bears. Um, uh, yeah, caught the fish. Got to spend time in the cabin alone. Filmed and photographed literally every square inch of the place. <laughs> and I'll be going back and implementing some of what I learned from seeing what he did in my cabin and future buildings. Well, and like you said earlier, I mean, you read, you go back and read the book now. You can pinpoint something that you may not have understood mm-hmm. reading it before now you're like oh i saw that or i mm-hmm. whatever you experience that whatever you know it's like going up yeah. through the ridge right yeah that's pretty cool yeah it was awesome so then <laughs> spur of the moment um 
at the beginning of that trip, I reached out to Glenn Ellsworth, um, the owner of Farm Lodge and, and Lake Clark Air, and just asked him, is there any bear experiences so that I can take advantage of it? He said, well, you're up here for four days, and on the fourth day, you have some time, so why don't I fly you out to, to Katmai and to see these brown bears? And that's exactly what I did. So that was part of the experience, too, and I got to spend time with the pilot talking, who's part of the family, talking about history of the place and, and then also the current experience. So no, I, I couldn't, it just couldn't have been better. I have to tell the audience that when you showed back up, Mark and I are, we're like quizzing you right now. Mark finally looks at me and says, would you shut up? <laughs> I don't, because we wasn't wanted, exactly those words. No, but yeah. no, no. But that's, <laughs> I mean, that's how I would have said it to you. Would you like lay off? Because we want all this stuff for the podcast. I mean, we were all so excited for you to get to have those experiences. Right. But more importantly, we wanted to hear about it. Mm -hmm. And we just had to wait. And uh, we still looked at a lot of the footage. But that helps, too, because then we know what you're talking about when we talk about the podcast. Well, I think when you ask somebody to tell a story, and if it's, they're telling it to that person, it's always best told the first time. Yep. You know, they can tell the story just as well another time to different people. But if you sit down and look at that same person, and I think, well, I told you yesterday. So yeah. that's why I was yeah. just trying no, to... No, I agree. I agree 100%. I mean, I wanna, we do, we I mean, do it all the time. Exactly. It's hard to wait. It is super hard to wait. But well, yeah, yeah, I feel the same way about creating videos, too. Right? So I've seen some of the footage, and... I like sometimes when I come back from a trip or a few days um, you know, that I've been working on a project at the cabin, I finally sit down at the computer and start looking at that footage. And I'm, first of all, I'm reliving that, even those small experiences. And it's like, okay, now what do I do with this? How do I present this to my audience in a way that uh, truly conveys what I felt while I was doing that project or the difficulty of it or maybe the ease of it, whatever that was. Now, Now I feel the same way about this trip. I've got... 12 days of footage um just this type of thing and i've got the twin lakes i've got the animal experiences and i have to figure out how best to put this all together to cap to truly present it the way i felt it and that that's challenging that's why i say about not um i don't want to wait too long so it's not fresh that's on one hand i'd like to come back and and, and create a video quickly but I also don't want to just throw it together and then release it, so because I think that'd be doing disservice to the place and the trip. So I will be uh, releasing quite a number of videos, sort of behind-the-scenes videos, like a daily vlog showing this type of thing, and then I'll be doing my typical format, which, again, uh, the cabin life is everything people dream it to be and, and are attracted to myself and Dick Pranicky's story to begin with, and that's that, I don't know, simplicity and... You know, just hearkening back, I guess, to simpler times is probably the, the, the thing. And to, to relax, to, you know, sit down and watch my stuff at the end of a stressful week at work or whatever it is. I want to present what I've experienced here in that format so that you feel re relaxed watching my content, watching my videos and, and seeing my photographs, whatever it is. So. And we really appreciate, you know, the time collaborating with you on an experience like this because we're expanding that in, t in our storytelling with, you know, our wildlife photography and our adventures. And we want people to feel like they've been with us on a trip like this. Mm -hmm. You know, and yesterday to have a few hours to sit down and talk about all the ins and out of, outs of YouTube and to get our Wild and Exposed podcast content on there and growing our storyline you know, it's, it's been uh, something we really appreciate because of your expertise and, and super excited about bringing more and more of our content online regularly for our listeners to feel like they're part of our lives. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to watching that. Like part of what I was attracted to you guys for to begin with is the quality of the content that you create. And I feel like that's uh, my next step. I, I've, I'm capturing what I'm doing in a simple format. I feel like in order to really convey that feeling, that emotion behind what I'm doing, I need to increase the quality, improve the quality. And what you guys do, you're the opposite. Instead of quantity, you, you focus on quality and you produce fantastic quality content. Um, the audience, I think, wants more of, more, wants to see more of the, the um, unedited version of Wild and Exposed podcast and Mark Raycroft and right. Mike Morrill. You can see the behind the scenes. And, you know, that's, um, I think the 
meshing of our two sort of brands or us as guys mm-hmm. to get together and learn from one another i think is just timely i think it's the perfect time for both of us for me to improve my quality for me to have more exposure to wild places like this and and wildlife that i've always loved but never really got time to focus on to capture it properly and you guys to to get um, more in tune with the storytelling behind what you do yeah, absolutely. So it's a great synergy. Yeah, no, it's been that way for sure. And a we lot should of fun. point out that you actually have two channels. Mm-hmm. The one channel is huge, monster, my self reliance, but you also run <laughs> it's a monster too compared to us. <laughs> but the Sean James channel is almost at 100,000 subscribers. So, I mean, you if you're looking at his stuff, make sure you go look at both because there's different content on both. And it's, yeah, yeah I, I think there's value in watching both. I think, uh, um, Sean James channels more of the behind the scenes. I, I think part of it is that I've become so passionate about creating content as much as living the lifestyle. I actually really enjoy filming, photographing, editing, and presenting. So the the uh, my main channel, my self reliance, it's more f- sort of film format or it's less educational, less tutorial based, and less behind the scenes. Let, a slightly more edited version. Where Sean James, I literally go out and just film me going, driving the town to get groceries, which people are cons- you know, interested in from the cabin. How do you, how do you get this food here? How do you get uh, building materials? So to show that kind of stuff on that channel makes sense, and it means that I get to go and continue filming on those days that it's not so peaceful or educational or whatever. It's it's just me filming, and then I get to edit that. So I'm really living my life twice everything by having the two channels i go out and i do the thing and i get to edit it or film it edit it and share it with somebody so i'm reliving it again it's pretty cool that's we have one life to live right to live it fully and i gotta tell you my audience inspires me to do cool things each and every day and when you have when you get yourself to a point where you have to maintain two youtube channels and produce enough content for that there's no sitting around. There's no getting up in the morning and saying, I just feel like being lazy today. Because people want to watch what I'm doing, and I want to live my best life. So if that's the inspiration, I need people, uh, an aud- a global audience to get me off my butt to get out there and do something interesting. That's great. It's cool. Well, I think that's a good way to look at well it. Well said. Yeah. I think it summarizes this trip, too. <laughs> I mean, as far as the long days and the nonstop mm-hmm. and trying to... Yeah trying to make the most of all the different aspects of what we're doing, of the filmmaking, the wildlife experiences, the physical challenges, the lack of sleep, then the editorial side and keeping up with those commitments. It's a, it's I was going to say that earlier because when you first got here that first morning, um, what, I don't remember what we were doing. I think we were, that was the day we were traveling to another spot. Mm-hmm. And I woke up at like 7 or something. It was a late day for us, right? And I went over to your cabin, and, and I was like, where's Sean? And my, he's like, he's already out shooting. <laughs> you know, he's already been out shooting for two hours. Right. He's been flying the drone. He's been, yeah, he already caught video. a fish. <laughs> he's already done all this stuff, and it's like 7 o'clock in the morning. Right. So that totally speaks to, yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, but everything you're doing is awesome. It's fun, right? It's not like, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not like you have to go push papers through a printer right. or do something that, you know, is this mundane task. It's it's cool stuff. I mean, who gets to fly a drone over a harbor, right? Yeah. So. Well, and people, um, I mean, so many people would like to have, make a career out of YouTube or what you're doing, wildlife photography or filming, cinematography, whatever it is. If you're not that passionate about it, that you get up at 5 o'clock in the morning after being on the road and flights for twenty the previous 23 hours, then you're probably not going to be able to make a career of it. It's nice to have a hobby and maybe make a little extra money doing that thing. But if you want to be successful at anything, you have to be doing things that other people aren't willing to do. And that means getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and filming a video by 7, maybe editing it that same day and releasing it. You look at some of the big YouTubers or people that are big on any social media platform and they put out daily content they're filming and editing and releasing at the same day and every single day mm-hmm. they're the biggest guys on 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 youtube that's, that's commit commitment you can't do that if it's part-time no no and this trip is you wake up at five well like for the moose we mm-hmm. wake up at five you can't you drive up here you park and you either hike for mm-hmm. three or four miles or you're 
and today we rode bikes mm-hmm. for three or four miles. Then you're actually going to start some shooting. Of us, some of us did. Well, yeah. <laughs> so Sean and I had We didn't bikes. have, we we didn't had have two full, bikes. We didn't have four of, bikes. Yeah. So Mark's like, you guys ride. But we had radios. So oh, once yeah. we found the moose, we were yeah. able to say, okay, we found some moose. So go ahead and yeah, it's all put, good. In, put yeah, in the miles totally. and hike out. Well, you know, and, and I wanted Sean to have that extra opportunity. I mean, I have a little bit of a moose you portfolio. You don't have very many moose right. pictures. So I, it's okay if I'm <laughs> lagging behind on a morning like this just to walk in. But, you know, there's something just describing that passion. You know, when, I, when the alarm goes off at 5 a.m. on these short nights because there's very little darkness here in Alaska this time of year, you know, I, I will admit I am tired at 5 a.m. You know, but we have our coffee, we get up here, and we glass, and when you see that first animal, mm-hmm. that's forgotten. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it's just the fun of going and the inter- interaction, the observing the animal and, and thinking about what we're creating, whether it's the video, the storytelling, the still photo- photos, all of that is such a f- primary focus that everything else is gone for hours that we're with that animal. And that's, you know, to me, that summarizes the passion. If somebody feels yeah. that way, if, the, if any fatigue or pain or distraction or stress evaporates when they're in that zone, then that's a good sign that you're in a happy place. True. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Agreed. So, and that, yeah. And people say, I don't have that opportunity. You're in a great place, time and place where you can take advantage of that. And that partially is true. And I recognize that and I'm grateful for that. But you also have to create opportunities for yourself. You have to put yourself in situations that other people will present opportunities like you guys did this trip for me. If I wasn't in, in this place in my life where I made a focus to make this a career and, and live a simpler life and document that thing, I wouldn't have ever met you guys. I wouldn't have had this opportunity. That's so a good point. Yeah. yeah. These platforms do facilitate that. Mm-hmm. We've met, well, we did another podcast with a fellow f- photographer, a dull sheep enthusiast up here and you know we would not have met him without social media contacts so we're always grateful for the people that interact because of Mm -hmm. our show on any of the platforms Mm -hmm. because you do meet those people who share the passion yep yeah absolutely and and like you alluded to a few minutes ago they also motivate it's fun to create content knowing there are people out there who are interested in viewing it and and commenting on it and sharing it and you know, I get so many emotional it. comments too. Like you, we really we take for granted. I mean, look at where we're sitting right now. You know, unfortunately, a lot of people watching this and listening to this are sitting in a place that they don't really like or want to be. And um, you know, I feel for that. But I also am inspired by those comments when people say you're changing my life, or you've inspired me to do something different, or to change my life, or to you know. Uh, work on that relationship that I haven't been working on. Like, it's amazing. People that are disabled and can't get out to do this thing anymore or older and can't get out. There's a lot of situations where, you know, we have to fully take advantage of the opportunities that we have uh, because it's our responsibility, I feel, to do that. It, It would be irresponsible for us to have, you know, health and good fortune and live in a place that we can experience this and then not do it when there's people that would love to be in our position and, and can't. Right. Well said. Yeah. Very grateful and, and love to share it for those reasons. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, shall we uh, attend to some editing for a couple of hours and then plan our next adventure? <laughs> well, the thing is, is, you know, the last two days it's been sunny. So by this time of the day, yes. true, you know, you can't really shoot because it's so right. harsh. Right. We don't right. have any harsh lights, so that means we can hop back on these bikes and ride another three miles. Oh, can we, can we like, uh, toss, toss a coin to see who gets the bike yeah. <laughs> this time? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, all right. I don't mind, uh, you I know don't what? mind hiking. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather hike at this point. I haven't been on a bike since, I, since we got Cali three years ago. And I remember last time I was on a bike when I hadn't been biking and how sore my butt was for the next week afterwards. <laughs> Let me just tell you, I ride a bike a lot for exercise. We talk about it occasionally. When you're doing it for exercise, you don't have anything on your back. It's, I'm, I'm fine. The seat doesn't bother me. But I've been riding, well, I guess yesterday was the first day. When I got on that bike today, after having this pack on, that extra 30 pounds or whatever. Uh, it's more than 30. Well, whatever it is, I mean, my butt was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a difference. Right. So, yeah, I, I would be fine walking, too. And I, I actually have gotten in really 
decent shape being here mm -hmm. over the last couple of weeks. Not that I was out of shape, but I feel like I'm better shape. I feel like nothing hurts. <laughs> you know, yeah, as you get older, you need to specifically work on those muscles that you're using for that task. People see me carrying logs around, they assume I can run a marathon or right. hike mountains. Well, that's certainly not the case. The right. first few, well, maybe I've been here for what, 12? I can lose them track 10 days, something like that. Really, I'd say two days ago, my legs stopped hurting. Yeah. And now I'm probably ready to go. But if I go back to the cabin and I don't keep that up, those long hikes, and I'll lose that quickly. You do. You lose it really fast. I'm amazed. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the blessings of these trips as well, is that uh, the, the losing track of time and days. Mm -hmm. You know, a two or three or four or five day trip, you still feel in that time frame. And it's something that in our society, I mean, we have to, yeah. we're so dialed in to time and days of the week. It's a real privilege to get out into wilderness. And I'm sure you feel it at your cabin and, and things like that disappear. And it's, it's, it puts a smile on my face when we get to the stage in the trip and somebody says, what day is it? And we all have to think about it. <laughs> You know, it's a good sign because we're just in yeah. the moment. We're living in the present and just truly appreciating it because, you know, we were missing Ron. He was here for the first part of the trip, and it just goes by quickly. There's so much going on. The days are so full of life, and they go by, so we really do have to live in the moment and appreciate it. And it's great when it doesn't matter what day of the week it is or what time it is. The fact is the light's good. So, yeah, if we can, if we can pass on editing today and go and... <laughs> Pick up on some more photo and video opportunities. Let's do it. Yeah, a little bit of food would be. We have snacks. snacks. Missy. <laughs> Missy left yesterday. Our producer, she was here for all the trip, except for the last couple of days. Uh, Sean's got another day left, and Pilly and I have two more days left before we depart. Then it's, I'm going to be running up here all by myself. Well, we're going to miss I'm it. I'm good with that. We're going to miss it. But, Where are you now? But <laughs> so, it would be more fun if you guys were here. I keep trying to get you to extend your days. And We've got snacks. We always have some snacks with us and water so we can last longer out here. Because you never know. Yeah. You don't want to cut a trip short or an experience short. We've traveled here. I keep saying this podcast after podcast. We, we plan this trip. We pay a lot to go on a trip. You don't want some little thing to compromise the opportunity. Right. So Yeah, I think we're getting, taking it maybe a little for well. For me, I shouldn't take it for granted because these bulls are exceptional. I've never seen anything like this in a concentration of animals. But it could be a grizzly bear around the next corner that I want to, that we want to follow, not chase, but fo follow for filming and photography. Or wolverine. There's so much can just happen here. Links. You have to be out. I mean, Wayne, was it Wayne Gretzky famously quoted saying that you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. If we're back at the cap or at the condo or townhouse right now editing what just stepped out that we missed well i think about that all the time it's like if you took and did a radius of a mile from right here you know there's a bear right two or three bears right. you know there's moose you know there's probably a lynx walking around are you gonna see it mm -hmm. well, we know probably it. not but you're not gonna see it for sure being down there right, but yeah. if you're out there you at least have a shot well, and people watching us on YouTube, you know, I know it's a wide-angle lens, but there, if there are little specks moving off on the background hillside, <laughs> there's, no. there's a good chance those are moose. They look like ant moose, but trust me, they're moose. It's, it's fun. It's like, you know, it's just glassing for them at any time of day. I mean, typically it's early when we get here, and taking 20 minutes, and they just slowly start popping out, or you find one bedded this way or that, it's, 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 I find a lot of fun in that searching. And if we do see another bear, let's hope it's a little more friendly than the one we had last week. I mean, it was a beautiful big bear. It was in this valley, and it wasn't unfriendly, but it was a little nervous with us because it couldn't smell us. And there's a good story on a previous podcast about that as well. So and it was a good-sized bear, wasn't it? Beautiful bear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful grizzly, and everything was fine. Uh, it turned out absolutely well, fine. Well, and I talked to a local, uh, another local mm -hmm. photographer this morning, and I was asking about, you know, because I've only been in here for a couple of years. And I've not, I've seen bears like way off on the ridge and it's no big deal, right? But when you're within a hundred yards, right. you know, you really want to know the temperament of these mm -hmm. bears. You go to Kodia or um, Katmai, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you're in a safe zone out here. You don't know. I mean, are these bears habituated or are mm -hmm. they, will they look at us as, as a threat? You know, and what he said was, you know, they're, they're 
good bears. I mean, for the okay. most part, you're not going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. um, well, more than the most part. You're, you're right. not going to have a problem. Just do what you're supposed to do and yeah. just do, you know, don't be trying to run them down and trying to get a shot. Just right. let them be oh, who absolutely. they are and, and you'll be fine. Well, they're all different personalities and you have to respect their space. I mean, one thing about just the how enormous this wilderness area is that we're in you will have the resident bears and they may be used to seeing people mm. mountain biking or hiking but you will also have those bears that have come in from 10 miles away sure. just on a walkabout and may not be as exposed to people and therefore right. behave a little differently That's so true. you have to just be cautious of that and you know i asked him about that too just on mm -hmm. the behavior thing is he said moose get predated on in here every year so he said there's there's always bears coming through because the bears that have been successful hunting in here, mm. they will come, keep coming back, you know, and if they can find a, a moose that's hurt or if they can find a young moose, that's a possible chance. I mean, I don't think any of these mature bulls that are walking around here would ever succumb to a, a bear. They're just too healthy and they're just going to be able to move on. Right. But if they did come through here and find a, a hurt moose or a, a, you know, an old bull or something, you never know. Yeah. Well, come fall, I mean, the, and, and through the rut and post-rut, it's the bulls that seem to get preyed on most because of injuries, even pulled muscles. You know, they can yeah. pull the muscle in the shoulder. They just can't run as fast. Sure. And, you know, a, a podcast that we did uh, last summer with Alaska's, well, retired, but longest-standing moose researcher, you know, he pointed that out, that the bulls, uh, through where uh, all of his years of study in autumn were the ones predated on, upon most frequently. And whether it's due to injury or just that testosterone and confidence, you know, or whether there's a variety of conditions that he exhaustion. Well, that's part of it as, as it. winter sets in too. Mm -hmm. Well, but and right after the rut, I mean, they're so, yeah. you know, they don't Depleted. spend a lot of time eating. Yeah. They do eat, but I mean, they're more interested in other things. So mm -hmm. for the, weeks, I, you know, yeah. Yellowstone is a good example of that too. You see that one year I spent a lot of time in Yellowstone in the fall after the rut. Mm -hmm. And I kept seeing these just antlers out there in the you know the dead bull elk and it was the wolves bringing down these worn out bulls so yeah so, so they learn yeah these predators are smart well my point is is that's probably some of these bears cruising through you know yeah. just yeah. hoping that on the off chance definitely you know and there's plenty of feed for everybody i mean the, those bears will eat the grass and the the vegetation just is like the moose so they don't need that but they want that if they can get it mm -hmm. All right. All righty then. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed Sean's stories about his first trip to Alaska and the different chapters of this trip, the different places he's traveled to, as well as hearing his insights into his super popular YouTube channel and how he creates the content for that. It's been an, a great experience for us. You know, the action camera placement, it's something to think about. Mm -hmm. You know, as far as storytelling, to have one at your hip, in your pocket, in your jacket, and be recording on these trips to share with friends or family or developing content for your own storytelling. Very useful tools nowadays. So thanks, Sean, for sitting down, putting up with this vista for an hour and a half, <laughs> giving the legs a rest before we head out and look for something else. Well, so thanks for inviting me to your podcast, but also obviously on this trip. It was, oh, yeah, it's been forever fun. grateful. Awesome. If you could just real quickly just... Throw out your channels one more time and maybe your Instagram. Yeah, so on everything, every platform, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, you can find me under My Self Reliance or on YouTube, My Self Reliance or Sean James, two separate channels. Similar content, you're going to hopefully enjoy both. Uh, shorter videos on Sean James, longer videos. And if you want to set aside 45 minutes, Actually, set aside hours and hours because I have <laughs> over 300 uh, videos. Uh, average length is over 30 minutes. A little bit unique on YouTube that I do longer form videos so that you can just immerse yourself in the experience and enjoy it. So that's where you can find them. Right on. And that's where we discovered Sean James. And you can see more of our content on YouTube as well. We just put up a podcast this past, well, yesterday. And this one, we were going to have this up as well because of this landscape. So that you can watch us as we record these podcasts as well as listening to us on any of the podcast platforms. And no matter which platform you're listening to us on, please take the time to hit that follow and subscribe button to give us a positive review, a five-star rating, or a thumbs up as those help us to do what we love to do and to bring you this podcast on a regular basis. 
You can also find more of our team's content on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course on our website at wildandexposed.com, where you can see today's show notes as well. I'd like to take a moment and give a special thank you to our hardworking and talented producer, Missy McKenzie, for all that she does behind the scenes to bring this podcast to you on a regular basis. Until next time, you've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.